When we share someone's story here on The Diaries, the episode might end, but their story doesn't. So many of the people we've talked to, they've gone on to do incredible things. They have epic adventures and make significant impacts in our community. Over on Diaries Plus, we're catching up with some of our former guests to see what they've been up to. I recently sat down with Connor Ryan, a Lakota professional skier from our Sacred Slopes episode, who's been knocking out groundbreaking projects ever since the episode aired. It's really incredible. We had a great discussion about the impacts he's made, what keeps his fire burning, and taking ski lessons as a pro skier. Here's a snippet of the conversation. All the source of joy that I use to fill my cup to be out in the world doing positive things comes from my relationship to the outdoors. And so I've really focused on like, wow, like there's so much power if I can give one person the relationship to the outdoors that that I have through skiing. And maybe that will have as profound of an effect on them as it's had on me. To listen to the full episode, use the link in the show notes to subscribe to Diaries Plus today. Yeah, you get more shows, but you also have a peace of mind of powering what's out there right now, keeping us moving forward, keeping this community together. So thank you for everyone who supported and everyone who's going to support. We appreciate it. I've done it hundreds of times and still every time for me, there's that moment of fear on top where I'm like, ah, do I really want to do this? This is Jason Hummel, ski mountaineer, professional photographer, native Washingtonian. He's with two buddies clicked into his skis, standing on the top of the Ice River Glacier on Mount Olympus, the most prominent peak on Washington State's Olympic And as soon as we get to the top, of course, they look at the gnarliest line that they see and they're like, we're gonna ski that. Dude, Ice River Glacier? Ice River Glacier down there. Yeah, freaking hard to say. And I'm like, oh my God. One friend drops the first line while Jason snaps away with his camera. Oh, watch you slough. Then it's Jason's turn. I think any time that you ski a steep line, it's always that first turn where you're just like, oh my God. But it it also, anytime you do anything that's scary, it really ties you down to the moment, to the instant, to that second. And all that matters to you is the next turn. And so that's really exciting in its own way. Get my heart going, dog! (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, It is steep. Dude, that's steep. (laughs) That feeling of complete presence when you drop into a committing line for the first time, the quest for that feeling has driven Jason's life. Look at that line. Yeah, that's the way you get on the Ice River Glacier, dude. It's guided decisions about his career, about the structure of his life, and for the past three decades, it has pulled him up all the major peaks of the Pacific Northwest and many of the more obscure, remote, and committing mountains of the Cascades and the Olympics. But just as Jason had started to feel like he knew what his home mountains had to offer, he stumbled into this idea that made him reconsider how much he still had to One explore. One day I was just online, I was looking up some information. I came across the list of glaciers in Washington, and it wasn't a complete list, but it was still like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Like, how many of these have I done? And I started going through, and at the end I was like, holy smokes, I've actually missed quite a few. That day... Jason decided to make it his mission to ski all the glaciers in Washington State. 
an excuse to go back to the places that he missed because they are on the backside of a ridge or in an inconvenient well, now spot. now inconvenience isn't a good enough excuse. Inconvenience is, again, one of those problems I have to solve. This concept is not new. It's not all that different than a goal to climb the seven summits, ski off of all the 14ers in Colorado, or summit the major volcanoes in the Cascades. People set those kinds of goals for different reasons. But I bet that part of that joy of the tick list is being pulled into new places and rewarded with new experience. So what if you come up with your own novel constraint? Does it make everything unnecessarily harder? Or does it pull you further into your own backyard? Today, producer Matt Martin brings you The Glacier Project, the story of Jason and his journey to ski all of the glaciers in Washington, and how sometimes, by placing a constraint on adventure, we can deepen our relationships with the places we consider most familiar. I'm Becca Cajal, and you're listening to The Dirtbag Diaries. Jason first climbed Mount Olympus with his father in 1987. He was eight years old at the time. On the trip was his twin brother Josh and their younger brother Jesse, who was five. Jason's dad actually had to convince a local metal shop to forge custom crampons small enough for the little Here's my dad leading the charge up this mountain. And those are my first memories of of this peak. And I've gone back many times since as day trips running, as ski trips from various different directions and areas for different goals over the years. And I was content. I'd seen Mount Olympus. I, I don't need to go back. I have other places that I can go check out. But as Jason delved into his list of glaciers, he realized that despite all the times he had been on Mount Olympus, there were still six glaciers that he had never Here's even a peak touched. That's less than 8,000 feet tall, and it has more glaciers than Mount Adams or Shasta or all of these other peaks that people would normally attribute to having all these glaciers. It's like, whoa, I need to go to this glacier and this glacier and this glacier. And I started plotting how I was going to do that because... Many of these places aren't places that people go to. There are 213 named glaciers in Washington state. If you ask Jason, there are also at least 30 unnamed glaciers. So he put those on his list as well. The glaciers stretch from the North Cascades down to Mount Rainier. And in the spring of 2014, he started ticking them off. And in the May of this year, four years into the project, Jason returned to Mount Olympus with his friends Carl and Jake to tick off the more obscure glaciers on that peak, which began with three days of hiking through the rainforest of the Olympic Peninsula before they even saw snow. How far we got, Carl? Uh, I think 18, what, 18 miles? I don't know, not very far. Not far at all, right? Uh, we'll be there in a few hours. <laughs> Probably get an evening ski run in today. <laughs> Jason, Jason told me we were going to do some skiing you on this You need trip. to have some folks that are a little new to the game so you're, you can trick them a little bit. Like, yeah, it's going to be an easy approach. It's not. It's like 40 miles of trail walking with skis. And in our case, we had brought 10 days worth of food. And... Your packs are just ginormous. 
The good news is, is that we're not almost there yet. <laughs> Anyone who wants to summit Mount Olympus has to struggle through that 18-mile forest approach. But that's where the similarities between a typical summit push and Jason's trip end. Instead of bootpacking it up to the summit, Jason and his buddies click into their skis to circumnavigate the mountain, climbing and skiing each glacier as I they came went. up with a really cool route that I called Tour of the Gods. You know, they had the Olympians and the Titans, and you have Athena, which is another peak on Olympus. And it was another really cool example of how the Glacier Project kind of led me to create a really amazing trip. In that week, they saw quite a few other people, but all on the same narrow Not corridors. Not a single one was more than 50 feet away from the track that went up to the true summit of Mount Olympus. And that's it. That's all they ever went to. And many of the places that we went to on skis during this trip may have not seen a person since maybe the original party had been there or nobody had been there. If not for this glacier project, Jason might still be in that line of humans stuck in that narrow swath up to the summit. These days, Jason works on his Glacier Project full-time. When he's not in the mountains, he's hustling to sell photographs of his ski adventures to magazines, or just anybody who will buy them. But that wasn't always the case. For years, Jason, his twin brother Josh, and their best friend Ben Manfredi were the ultimate trio of weekend warriors. There were times we would go out, and we'd get back to the house, and I'd put on my suit and go to work, never having gone to bed at all. We maximized the weekends. We used to get to the tops of these peaks and we didn't know much back then. Basically all we had were Becky guides. We didn't have the internet. It was around, but we didn't have it. <laughs> and we would just look out from the top of these peaks and see other peaks and we go, we're going to go do that. And so each ridgeline, each summit that we came to was another vista from which we could look out and and see these peaks and go, we're going to go do them. After college, Jason got a job as a financial advisor. That's when the weekend warring really My got serious. My friend Ben wrote me one day, and it's the middle of the day of work, and he's in Bellingham. I'm out in Bainbridge Island working. I lived in Tacoma at the time. And he's like, let's go climb Olympus tonight. And I'm like, really? Okay. And... I hadn't worked out. I wasn't in shape to do that. But next thing I know, he's meeting me at a house at midnight and four o'clock in the morning. We're at the trailhead and something like 50 miles later, we've gone to the summit and all the way back to the car, at which point I was crawling, mind you. But again, I have that impetus to have to go back, that drive to want to go visit these places. Things went on like this for years. Mountains, office. Mountains, office. He remembers being able to see Mount Rainier from his desk it's very window. very taunting to see the Alpenglow set on the mountain and you're stuck there inside the office shuffling papers around because, you know, I used to have this stack of paper that I would take and I'd move around my desk and it would be like the work that I'd have when I had no work to do at all. And it'd be like, oh yeah, I'm busy. I got things happening. 
And then nine years in, his boss walked into his he office. He said, you need to generate this much income. And I said, you know, I, that's just impossible. I'm not going to do it. And I walked out the door and never, never looked back. And how long ago was that? That was in 2009, April. What was your plan? To leave? <laughs> What's anybody's plan, right? It's like having a really bad breakup in a relationship. You don't have this big grand plan. You just need to go. <laughs> Jason's grand plan eventually became the life of a professional photographer and a dirtbag ski bum. But that path began in tragedy. Back in 2003, long before Jason quit his job, his best friend and weekend warrior counterpart, Ben, was killed in a kayaking accident. And my accident. twin brother was there and tried really hard to bring him back alive, and they just weren't able to do it. I mean, they were on a ledge in the middle of what's called the Grand Canyon of the Elwha, beautiful river, deep in the jungles of Olympic National Park. Gorgeous place. Ben had always been the trip photographer, documenting what the group did After in the After passing, I ended up being given by his family Ben's camera and I tried to continue telling those stories and I was very new to it I didn't know what I was doing I hardly knew what focal length was and depth of field and how to even do the settings on my camera at first Jason just took photos for fun on weekend and so adventures. I just carried on doing that when I left my job and just take photos, tell stories. By the end of the year he had a few photographs published and was getting a few photography. And I was shocked. Jobs. I was like, oh, maybe I don't have to go back to work. Maybe I don't have to go be a financial advisor again. I wanted to see Jason's passion for these mountains up close and in person, so I convinced him to take me along on one of his glacier adventures. He suggested Sloan Peak in the North Cascades. We met on a Saturday morning in Seattle at 5 a.m. Pavement turned to dirt, and in two hours we arrived at the trailhead. He pulled out a map, unfolded it over the rear window, and told me the plan We're in the for the forest, day. of course. No snow in sight, but uh, I'm hoping here about probably 1,500 feet up, we'll hit some snow and about 5,000 feet total up to the Sloan Glacier. So it's one of the easiest glaciers I have left. So it's kind of exciting to go up and check out a little spot I haven't been to yet. We loaded up our gear and checked the trailhead log. Just check and see if anybody's been here. Yeah, let's see, when was the last time someone was here? It's like... Well, somebody came May 12th. That's good. Yeah, that was a couple days ago. Oh, wait. Could not cross river. Oh, that's not a good sign. No. Well, here it goes. The trail up to Sloan Peak was thick with alder trees. Then we came upon a swamp. Jason and I took off our shoes and socks and rolled up our pant legs. Time to get wet. During the crossing, one of my pant legs came untucked and fell into the swampy water. Oh, you screwed up. Yeah. <laughs> this is the, the ugly part of ski mountaineering that you don't see in the magazines. No, this is the pretty part. Skiing's just the easy part. This is the fun part. This is the adventure part. 
you don't have a little adventure, then it's not ski mountaineering, it's just skiing. That's true, you can go to the resort if you want to ski. Exactly. We made it through the marshland, but then we came up against the North Fork Sock River. The river was high and fast with no clear way to get across. Yeah, you're just gonna have to chill and I'm gonna go see what I can find. Okay, that sounds good. This might take a bit. Yeah, this looks pretty uh, gnarly. I'm gonna see if I can find a log jam somewhere. All right. Um, yeah, this is gonna be interesting. <laughs> About 15 minutes later, Jason whacked his way through some trees to make it back to me. What is it? How does it look like? Well, there's nothing ideal, but we can go down there and try. It depends on how wet you wanna get. Yeah. Um, All right, let's go check it out. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> we trudged through thick bushes and mud. Finally, we made it to a birch tree that must have just fallen across the river a day or two before. Water was flowing over sections of the log, but it looked somewhat passable. Jason started out first. Out in the middle of the log, Jason realized he would have to duck under and flip to the other side of a large branch to go any further, a task made difficult by the six-foot skis strapped to his back. He decided this passage wasn't going to work and made his way back to the safety well, of land. Well, it's funny because I don't really worry about myself kind of having a background in whitewater kayaking. I'm like, oh, I understand water and how it works. I'm more worried about my camera gear. Because <laughs> that's like, you know, it's like walking around with your car in your pocket, like 20, 30 grand and you can slip in the water and it's gone, right? You start to think about it a little bit differently when it comes to that. <laughs> I have to say, I was totally relieved when Jason came back. I was terrified that I was going to have to follow him out there. We were not going to make it up to the Sloan Glacier that day. So we did the only thing you can do when you get turned around on a trip like this. Well, when you get off the trail, you gotta have a beer, right? I mean, that's like your natural reward. It doesn't matter if it's eight o'clock in the morning or seven or I don't even know, but you gotta have some reward when you get back. We sat down on the back of Jason's open hatchback and talked about why he has stuck to exploring the mountains of Washington. As a full-time ski bum, he could have gone to any range Yeah, in the world. I would say I probably have a little bit of a love affair with the Cascades. I mean, ultimately it's, my first love, right? Here, I get to go out with friends. I get to make new friends. I get to do adventure after adventure after adventure. And each one holds a lot of weight in my memory, you know? And it's always those backyard adventures that inspire me because it's not just the history of other people going into these mountains that interest me because it very much does. It's my own history and my own stories that draw me back to these places that bring me again and again. You know, it gets to the point now that whenever I go to a summit and I stand on a summit that I was on with my friend Ben or my brother or other friends that are no longer here, I always say hi to them. It's like, hey, how you doing? I think time kind of interlaces itself. And when I cross a place, even if it's on the physical plane, right, I can feel that I'm revisiting them somehow. The Glacier Project for Jason was a way to finally put a bow on the Cascades, a way for him to feel content with what he has done because with his life. Because when you see the younger generation, they're out doing really cool stuff. 
I don't need to feel that kind of jealousy. I can be like, yeah, I did what I needed to do. I did what I wanted to do. I accomplished those things I wanted to do. So for me, it was a way just just to look at the mountains of the Cascades. And, and again, like Mount Olympus, just feel content that I'd been there, that I'd gone to the places that I'd wanted to go to. Jason admits that sometimes this project can get annoying, but he's a stubborn person and he can't get the thought of, I need to get this done out of his head. I guess that's the mentality you need to complete a project like this one. But what starts as inspiration can quickly slide into obsession. It can drive him crazy if he doesn't make the progress he wants or get to the places like he plans today. on. Hey, literally get to the trailhead and a half mile down the trail and you can't go any further. And you woke up at three o'clock in the morning. Who does that to go skiing in summer? You do that, Jason. <laughs> I, I do. <laughs> and so here I am in the early morning hours sitting on the bumper of my car wondering... When am I going to get back here and do this again? Am I going to come back this year? I don't know, but I have to come back, right? Like this obsession, <laughs> you you have this like drive that keeps you going. Exactly. Do you think that's healthy? I think drives are healthy. I think passion is healthy. Obsession is a fine balance, right? So finding that balance in life, it's never easy, but at least my obsession hopefully only has a couple more years. Jason's obsession with this project, with these mountains, it comes at a cost. Jason told me he was always a saver. He saved 50% of his paycheck when he was a financial advisor. He believes if he had stayed with that job, he could be close to retirement You know, right I was now. a financial advisor. I'd live that conventional life where I went to college, I got a real job, I was responsible. Not that I'm irresponsible now, right? No, no. Not, not at all. Instead, he continues to choose the struggle to get by as a photographer. And there is no question of what his life would be like if he had kept that conventional job. He has a mirror image of what could have been in his twin but brother, now Josh. he has a, a nice home. He has a business and a wife. And it's kind of weird to see where my life could have gone. Because it's not a question mark. Because we were identical twins. Jason, for the most part at least, has made peace with those The reason I take photos is I want to tell a story. And at the, end of my, at the end of my days, is my life a story? Is it a story that I want to hear? Because if I can't hear my own story and it bores the hell out of me, then was it worth living? The security of a steady job, financial security, it doesn't have the same draw as seeing what is over that next ridge exploring his beloved glaciers. Olympus, skiing. Back in May, Jason, Carl, and Jake ended their trip around Mount Olympus on the Black Glacier. When you look Glacier. up the Black Glacier on Google for Mount Olympus, you're not going to find any information on it. There may be one or two places that even suggest that's the name of the glacier at all. Jason wasn't even 100% sure they'd be able to get there. Here I am, checking the map out, trying to find our way to the Black Glacier here, and it looks like we can find a route up over this nose. 
when you get on up in there. They climb up this narrow little couloir to the top. Glacier Moraines, man. Freaking awesome, dude. A lot of glaciers on Jason's trip don't have trip reports online. It's hard to know if anyone has ever been it's to a lot a of them. It's not a climbing route. It's not a huge special glacier that somebody's going to go research or, or study. It's entirely covered by huge cliffs on the bottom and giant cliffs and ice falls above it. Easy skiing from there, huh? <laughs> yeah. I guess. Stevie, ice skiing above you fall, you die cliffs and trunks. Easy. Yeah, dog. Jason only has about 40 more glaciers left of the 240 or so on it's his kind list. Of sad, really, when I think about it, because I've dedicated so much of my life toward the Cascades and the mountains of Washington that to not have those question marks when I look out into these mountains, to, to have to look out there and go, there's not really much that I don't know, kind of makes me just feel like I'm getting old, maybe. For now, Jason will just keep searching for the thrill of a good line, like the one down the black glacier. And so glacier. we got to the top, and it was gorgeous. It was sunset. We were looking out over the clouds, decked out over the Pacific Ocean, and just glowing in kind of those last afterglow of pinks and reds and such. And we're just flying down the kind of icy snow, enjoying that last little bit back to camp. Yeah, dudes. Yeah. Black Glacier, baby. You know, at those moments, you kind of feel that thrill and satisfaction of having accomplished what you'd set out to do. And so I was really excited to have done that. Jason thinks even after this project, he'll still be able to find those question marks on the map. This project has taught him that the same little peak or valley can be seen in a hundred different ways. Every time ways. I go out there and I get over the other side of a peak, I, I can still get lost. And I guess as long as I can still get lost in the Cascades, then maybe I haven't seen it all. What else did you think could go wrong? Cause I've been trying to cope, but I can't see strong. What else did you think might be true? Cause I've been waiting too long for another to do. The Diaries is made possible by the good people of Patagonia, introducing their new denim workwear. For maximum durability, they make their work denim from a blend of organic, U.S.-grown cotton and Dyneema. Dyneema is 15 times stronger than steel at the same weight, which gives the denim exceptional strength for the toughest and most abrasive tasks. Learn more at patagonia.com. Additional support comes from Kuat Racks, the little company who believed they could build a better bike rack. With mountain bike season in full swing, check out their lineup at kuatracks.com. And support comes from Vossen Brewing, who would like to introduce you to the Vossen Vagabonds, outdoor athlete ambassadors who revel in competition and never miss an opportunity to give back to their sport. Learn more at vossenbrewing.com. You, our listeners, truly keep the diaries thriving. To pledge your support, visit our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. A huge thank you to everyone who has donated already. Thank you to Jason and Matt for sharing this story. Read more about Jason's glacier project and check out his photography at myadventurecrusade.com. You can find more of Matt's work through KUOW, Seattle's NPR station. 
Music today from Dr. Turtle, Angie G. Cohen, Canyon Kids, and Fog Lake. The tracks are courtesy of Free Music Archive. Jacob Bain and Nice Koto composed our theme song. You can find links to the artists at our website. This episode was produced by Jen Altschul, Fitz Cahal, and me, Becca Cahal. You've been listening to the Dirtback Diaries. Thanks for tuning in. Uh-huh.